Are you guys ready for the word this morning? Let's go ahead and pray as we come to it. Father, we just thank you for your goodness and your great love. And this morning, Lord, I just pray that our hearts would be ready to receive what you would have for us, that your word would accomplish what you intended to accomplish in our hearts, that we would grow, that we would be challenged, and that we would not leave here the same way that we came in. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, well, we're coming up to our last uh, few messages on the culture of who we are as our church. And the last three have to do with kind of our mission statement as a church. And they are to evangelize, to equip, and to empower. So the first thing that we want to do as a church is evangelize the lost. Because there are so many people out there that have no hope. And we have something to offer them. We can provide them the hope that they're looking for, and that's in Jesus Christ. And then after we evangelize them, that's not our goal is to make converts. The problem is is, is that uh, uh, the church has become very good at making converts, but very poor at making disciples. So the next step is that we want to empower the saints. So we, we, we evangelize the lost, we get them saved, but we don't stop there. Then we want to start empowering. We want to train them. We want to teach them. We want to equip them. For their ministry. And then finally, after we equip them, we want to empower them to step out into the ministry that God has called them. Because it doesn't do any good to train people if you don't ever let them work in the kingdom. Amen. So we want to, to, to head them off on that step. And that's our purpose as a church is to win people to the Lord, prepare them, and then send them out to whatever their ministry might be to let them work in it, whether that's um, locally here in this body or, or someday to, to, to send out pastors to plant churches or to send out missionaries. We want to make an impact in this community, in this world. Amen. Amen. So the last three parts of, of this series is really talking about what are we here for? What is the church here for? And what is our vision as a church? And uh, the, the truth is, is that the church is not here to serve you guys. See, that's the problem uh, in society today, I think, is too many people go to church looking at what they can get out of church. What can church do for me? What programs do they have? What, what, what are they gonna, kind of impact are they going to make in my life? But the truth is, church is where you go to be equipped so that you can go out and make an impact in somebody's life, so that you can make a difference. Church is about being together with a like-minded group of, of, of individuals uh, to, to have a common mission to step out and make an impact in the world. The church is here to build God's kingdom. It's here to win the loss. We are his, his, his boots on the ground, if you will. And that's what we're here to do in the city of Miranda. That's what our goal has always been. And here's the thing. Each and every one of us who are born again, we have the life of Christ inside of us. We're supposed to look like Christ. And one of the things that you notice about him is that Jesus loved people. And his life in us should cause us to love people. Because we're supposed to look like him. 1 Corinthians 11, 1, Paul said, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. You can skip the, the middleman, just imitate Christ. And then in Philippians 2, 3 through 8, it says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others as more significant than yourselves. That should be the, one of the most innermost desires of each and every one of us is to treat others as more important than ourselves. It says, let each of you, in verse 4 continues, let each of you not to look, to look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others, having this a mind among you, among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. If you ever think, man, that's just not me. No, this mind is among you because it's yours in Christ Jesus 
who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even on the cross. The point is, is that we're supposed to have a mind, the mind of Christ, which is a mind that was sacrificial to those around him. He gave up everything so that the people that you see walking down the street should be saved. And we should have that same attitude and, and care like he cared about the people that are walking around us that don't know the Lord. And the truth is, is that everything that we do in this church ultimately has the goal to win people to Christ. Even stuff that doesn't seem like it. You mean the, the lights up on the stage here is, is for the purpose of winning people to Christ? And the truth is, it is. Everything that we do here, when I think about it, is to make sure that, that there is nothing standing in the, in the way. If somebody were to come into this church, we want to look like we're doing things with excellence. We want to look modern. We want to uh, sound good, right? We want to, like I said, do stuff with excellence. I don't ever want somebody to come in and go, man, I kind of want what they have here, but the music's terrible. I'm out. Or man, everything looks so shabby. The bathrooms are dirty or, or, or you know, it doesn't sound good. The reason we do the things that we do is because we want to make this place be an environment where people can come in and feel comfortable. And if they leave here not receiving the Lord, it's not because of anything that we did. That's my goal. So everything that we do, the purpose is to reach people for the Lord. So if we ever find ourselves in a position where we have all these awesome programs but that's not the goal of the programs, and we've missed the point. We've missed the boat. We need to actually reevaluate those things. The purpose of everything that we should be doing is to reach the lost and introduce people to Jesus. One of the things that we used to be big on is we used to do quite a few outreaches as a church. And unfortunately, since COVID, things have changed the path to evangelization is, is, is actually changed a little bit too. And we're going to talk about that today because we're going to have to change our approach if we want to be effective. The things that were, were socially acceptable before are now less acceptable. You know, getting a big group of people and mobbing on people, especially with people still have the fear. I still see people going around today wearing masks because they're concerned about viruses. And it seems like we have a new one coming out every week. Either a new strain of COVID or lately, uh, I just uh, read that the U.S. is stocking up on, on, on uh, the, the monkeypox virus. There was a really bad flu that was going around and hitting kids not too long ago that was very impactful. So there's always seems to be something um, so that is impacting our ability to do certain things. But the truth is, is that our goal as a church is to reach people. So we have to think about how are we going to do that in the future if some of the things that we can't do, we did before, we can't. And we're trying to get back into some of the group things, right? So this, this movie night that we're having this Saturday, this isn't so you guys can come in and just hang out with us and watch a movie. This is actually an opportunity to invite people to the church that may, not be able, that may not have otherwise come to the church. They may not come on a Sunday morning, but maybe they'll come watch a movie. And you know what happens? They come in and they go, wait a minute. I thought these were all tra crazy church people, but you know what? They're just like me. They're okay people. And you begin to build relationships with people, and those relationships open up opportunities to minister to them. So this Saturday when we get together, I hope it's not just us. Invite people that you know, invite coworkers, invite friends, invite family, invite everybody that you can. 
And hopefully they'll say yes because there's no pressure. It's not a church thing. We're just going to enjoy a movie. But hopefully it creates opportunities that we can minister the gospel to them. Amen. Like I said, everything that we do is with that goal in mind. But we are going to have to change how we do things going into the future because unfortunately the world has changed. Amen. But let's take a few things about what the Word says about this. In Matthew 28, 18 through 20, it says, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and earth and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. One of the things that I want to point out about this verse, and I think that the church in some ways has, has, has gotten it wrong, is did you know that this verse is not talking to the church collectively? What I mean by that is it's not saying that, hey, you individual churches go out and make disciples. This is talking to you personally. <coughs> you go out and make disciples you go out and preach the gospel. This is, this is talking to you. Now, the good news is, is that we don't have to go out and do it alone, right? The first thing it says that Jesus says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, and under that authority, he sends us out. We go with his authority. We recognize that Jesus gets his authority from God, and therefore, if Jesus commands us to do something in his name, then he gives that authority to us. And that means that there's no other authority in this world that is greater than the authority that has sent us out to share the gospel. And that means you go out in that same authority. So what did that look like for Jesus? When Jesus went out, he exercised his authority to teach. He exercised his authority to heal, to cast out demons, and to forgive sins. We saw Jesus do that. And we're going out in that same authority the only difference is, is we don't personally have the authority to forgive sins, but we have the authority to, to proclaim the forgiveness of sins. So that's what we should be doing when we go out. And this isn't talking to individual uh, groups of, or bodies of believers in the sense, it's not talking to a, a corporate church, it's talking to each and every one of us individually. And not only that, we're not just called to make converts either. You know, it's, 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 it's a lot easier to, to get a big event together where you have people getting excited and there's, there's all kinds of stuff going on and, and people, you know, they do the altar call and, and everyone looks around and everybody's going up so people have this emotional experience, but it just stays there and never grows any further. We're not called to make converts. We're called to make disciples. And we actually do... Believers are great to service, new believers are great to service, if all we do is introduce them to the Lord and we never follow up, we never reach back out to them. Because here's the thing, when somebody says yes to Jesus, immediately the enemy begins to move in and attack them. Stuff will begin to hit them that they've never experienced before. The other great to service we do is we tell them that, and if you'll just follow Jesus, your life will be great from here on out. <laughs> Everything will be perfect. Because that's not true either. The truth is, is that as soon as you get born again, you're going to experience stuff that you may have never experienced had you not become born again. Because the devil doesn't want you to stay that way. So we need to walk with them. We need to make disciples of them. And, and being a disciple is kind of like being an, an apprentice. 
That means that you walk alongside them, the, the one that's being discipled, they're looking up to you to teach them, to help develop them. They're watching what you're doing so that they can imitate you as you imitate Christ. They're learning to grow. And then Jesus, when he said this, the disciples must have imagined that he was leaving forever. Particularly, that's what they thought when he died. I know this because they all scattered. They thought it was over, and it wasn't until he returned that they began to, to form back together again and finally have a faith like they never had before. But he assures us that he's never going to leave us nor forsake us. Now, some people will say, oh, Pastor Wayne, this isn't for us. He's talking to the apostles. But the truth is, is that there's a couple of, of major examples of, of disciples stepping out into this, into the authority that Jesus had, doing miracles, casting out demons and healing, doing all of those things that weren't one of the 12 apostles. They were just regular disciples that began to, to follow Jesus. The first one was Stephen. Stephen was just a, a, a regular guy who decided to serve. And they started out small. And then the next thing you know, Stephen is the one that, that was actually stoned. And he saw the heavens open and saw Jesus sitting at the right hand of God. But he was doing miracles. He was seeing lives change. Philip is another one. Philip is one of the ones that uh, he started out serving soup to widows. He certainly wasn't an apostle at that point. The apostles needed to dedicate themselves to preaching and teaching. So they needed other people to take care of the widows. And he was just serving soup. And then we see that later he's, he's in cities, he's preaching the gospel. Matter of fact, later on it becomes to be known as Philip the Evangelist. But he was doing signs and wonders and miracles and healing, doing all of those things. And he wasn't an apostle. So you can't tell me that this stuff where we go out in authority and operating in the power of the Holy Spirit is just for the apostles because you see it in those who weren't. This is for us. And not us, Living Hope Family Church. Us as in individually us have the responsibility to go out and evangelize the lost. And here's the thing, like I said, stuff has changed. Some of the things we used to be able to do, we can't do. One of the, the outreaches we did every year was we would uh, get together with the HOA and we'd put up a booth for the Easter event that they had in the park over there and we'd be able to, to reach a lot of people. Well, they haven't done that since COVID. So we haven't had that opportunity there's been so many things. We, we tried to reach out uh, uh, for Halloween last year. We did a big event up front, and it turns out nobody was really going out for Halloween, so there was no traffic. So a lot of the stuff that we used to do doesn't work like it used to because the way people are going about their lives has changed. So one of the things that's going to have to be, take a step back as a focus is all of our corporate evangelism. And it's not that we won't do those things. We're going to give opportunities. We're not going to stop. But they can't be the focus because unfortunately they're just not effective like they used to be. What is going to be effective is you going to your next door neighbor and inviting them over for dinner and starting to build a relationship. And I'm not even saying, you don't have to show up on the front door holding the Bible up and saying, I just want you to know I'm a Christian. Just invite them over for dinner. Have them over to dinner three or four times. Just get to know them. But then you're going to have opportunities to minister to them. Or what about every time you go to fill your gas up, if you see the same gas station clerk, 
You're going to have the opportunity to slowly start building a relationship. Find out about their life. Find out those areas where you can pray for them. Find out if you can make an impact. And the thing is, that's going to be much more effective than what the church can do as a whole right now. I think the, the strategy for evangelism is going to have to change, and we're all going to have to take personal responsibility if we want to see growth. And think about this. How many of you guys want to see the church grow, this church grow, this body grow? How many of you guys want to see more people in here on a Sunday morning? Do you guys know how we could double the church overnight? If every person in here invited one person and they came. The question is, when's the last time you invited somebody to church? When's the last time that you shared the gospel with somebody? We have to ask ourselves these questions and recognize that that is our responsibility to do that. And not just once a year. It's, this is a regular thing. This is the, the great commission, not the great omission, which is how most of us treat it. Things are going to have to change if we want to see the world reach for Jesus. We're going to have to do things a little bit different. And that means each and every one of us is going to have to step up and do what God has called us to do. Amen. Because here's the thing. There is a real need for people to have the gospel preached to them. Romans 3.10-18 says, As it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. And their paths are ruin and misery. And the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Almost sounds like they're just talking about today. But the truth is, is that these scriptures are quoted from multiple places from the Psalms and in the Old Testament. Um, these are just quotes. That's why there's all those quotation marks around it. They're just repeating scripture that's been, been written down in the past. And the truth is, is it looks a lot like today as well. Because the reality is, is that even though technology changes, people don't. So the same needs from a spiritual level still exist today. People need Jesus. And just as before we were born again, when we yearned for something, each and every one of us were looking for something, we were yearning for something, even though we might not have known what it was, you can look at your life and see the evidence that you were looking for it. And you can look around and see that people are looking for it too. They're looking for something to fill that hole. They don't even know that they have it. They don't know what they're looking for, and they're filling it with all kinds of garbage, trying to fulfill something. The problem is, is it never fulfills them, so they have to keep doing it over and over and over. But the ultimate level is this, is that we were all sinners. Before you were born again, you were a sinner, and these people that aren't born again, they're all sinners. And this is what their, their lives look like without Jesus. But the good news is, is that God doesn't love us for the things that we've done. And he doesn't hate us for the things that we've done. The truth is, is he loves us in spite of the things that we've done. And that means every single person you see out there, even the ones that you think are terrible, or the people just that you see your neighbor walking down the street, God loves them and they have a need for a Savior. 
And they need that peace and restoration as Christians. Our hearts should hurt for these people. There should be a desire to minister the gospel. And the love of Christ in us should actually compel each and every one of us to share the gospel with people. Because the reality is, is that if we actually believe what we say we believe, how can we not share that with people? God loved them more than we can put a, a, a quantity on as well or a value. And John three sixteen through 17, it says, So God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Jesus didn't come just to save you. He came to save the world. Every single person that we see out there, he came and gave his life for them. And the reality is, is that, could you imagine that if you looked around and you didn't have Jesus and all you looked around, you didn't see any hope, you didn't see, all you saw was brokenness, you would walk around in despair as well. But we have a hope that we can share. There was a solution and it was Jesus Christ who came to give the people the fulfillment that they were looking for that they're trying to find in drugs and sex or cars or whatever it is. There was a promise of having every need met in Jesus. A promise of health and wellness, a promise of rest or, uh, relationships being restored. And it's all because of his unimaginable love for us. He loved us so much that he gave his life for us. He gave everything so that we could have something. And the problem is, is there's so many people who are not uh, receiving this, the, the great gift that he's given them. And some people it's because they've never heard. And some people it's because they're, they're just being stubborn. But I can tell you this, before I said yes, I said no a bunch. So even if someone said no, we don't give up. Even if we think they might have heard it before, we don't give up. We keep sharing because we might be the one where they finally say yes. I'm so thankful that after I said no a hundred times, God didn't give up on me, but someone finally came again and I finally said yes. And the truth is, each and every one of us has something amazing to share. 2 Corinthians 4, 7 says, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show the surpassing power belongs to God and not us. We have a treasure, and he's talking about you. You have a treasure that you can share, and it's so incredibly valuable. And the funny thing is, is that if we were to win the lottery, we'd probably tell some people. If we were to strike oil in our backyard, we'd probably tell some people. How come... We're not itching to tell people about this treasure that we have, which is so much more valuable than any of those other things. And the greatest part of this treasure is that it never runs out. The great part about this treasure is if you, if you tell your family and they all come in wanting some, that's a good thing. You don't have to push them away thinking they're just coming for your money. It never runs out, and we can continue to share it with everybody. It's like the, the widow that was about to have her kids repossessed. You remember that story? Everything was going down. She didn't have anything. And matter of fact, the, 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 she was getting ready to, to send her kids out to be slaves because she couldn't pay for anything. Her life was so bad, her kids were about to be repossessed. Think you're worried about your car being repossessed. What if they came to take your kids? 
But then Elijah says, you know what? Gather every vessel around and you just keep pouring. And that little bit of oil that she had, she poured and just poured and poured and poured and poured and poured and poured. It didn't run out. That's the gift that we have inside of us. It's not going to run out. We can share it with people over and over again. And there's more than enough. Amen? And finally, we need to remember that what we are offering is something incredibly valuable. 2 Corinthians 2.17 says, For we are not like so many peddlers of God's word, but as men of sincerity as commissioned by God in the sight of God, we speak in Christ. What we have to offer is not inferior. It's not invaluable. It's not anything to be ashamed of. But it's something that we should just share with great joy. We're called to be cities on a hill. We're supposed to be noticed so that God will be glorified. Amen. It's not something that we should hide from. It's not something that we should stand away from. It's not something that we should ever think that, oh, I don't want to force my religion on anybody else. I do. I want them to be saved. If somebody was standing in a train track about to hit by a train, you know, I don't want to enforce my will on them. You know what? I'm going to tackle them so they don't get hit by a train. Well, think about that. If you don't share the gospel, they're going to be hit by something much worse than a train. I want people to be saved. Now, I know that I can't force them in the sense that that I can make them believe, but man, I'm going to share it at every opportunity. Now, I'm not saying be obnoxious. I'm not saying be weird. I'm not saying carry your Bible around so you can beat people with it. But it does mean that when we have the opportunity, we share the gospel. And we share the good news, right? We're not out there to point on how awful people are. We're out there to point on how good God is, amen? And share that with people. Because Jesus loved people, and he loved people that even people that we might think aren't lovable. Mark 22, 15 through 17 says, As he reclined at a table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw what, that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick I came not to call the righteous, but sinners." That means sometimes you're going to have to go out and interact with people that you might not think are lovable or lovely or that society might look down on. You know, the truth is, is if all we ever hang out with is Christians, how are we going to reach the lost? Now, I'm not saying that's a bad thing. We do need to have fellowship with one another. We do need to be getting together because we can strengthen and encourage one another and ensure that we're ready for when Jesus returns. But the reality is is that sometimes you're going to have to get out there and talk to people that aren't Christians. Otherwise, how are you going to see anybody get saved? If we're not careful, we can find ourselves in this, uh, unintentionally with the same attitude that these, these scribes and Pharisees had. But Jesus loved people. He didn't just love a subset of people who fit a certain economical or, or a certain power level or, or any kind of group of people. He loved everybody. And the reality is, is that we can think of sin as a sickness. Forgiveness is the cure and Jesus is the physician. We have the opportunity to share with people something that will actually set them free from what has been tearing them down their entire life. The reality is, is there's only three types of people that Jesus can't help. And that's those who don't know or know of him, those who know of him but refuse to trust him, and those who won't admit that they need him.
And there's not a whole lot that we can do for that second group, right? Those who know of them but refuse to trust them. Not a whole lot that we can, we can do for them but love them and share, uh, uh, share with them and, and just pray that the Holy Spirit would open their eyes and be there when the opportunity arises that we can share again. And those who won't admit that they need them, same thing. Can't do much about that except for be there, pray for them, and love them. But the first group, those who don't know him or know about him, or haven't had the opportunity to receive him, that's our responsibility. That's our job is to make sure that they know. Amen. Matthew 9, 36 says, Jesus said, uh, this is about Jesus, says, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. A sheep without a shepherd is a very provocative description of what is actually involved in those of, uh, of us, that, that those people that don't know Jesus. It describes people that want to look to something who want to be led, but they're lost. And uh, the truth is, is that <laughs> I had a pastor once say, I never really understood if him calling us all sheep was an insult or not. <laughs> because sheep just aren't that bright. They don't know how to lead themselves. They can't take care of themselves. They, they need something to be, to be led. They rely on the shepherd for everything. You know, their shelter, uh, protection. They're defenseless and unable to take care of themselves. And they operate with a herd mentality. And they will follow anything or anyone that seems to have any kind of confidence to know what they're doing. And the truth is, is that's just exactly what people are like. Somebody stands up and, and everybody just herds around them and follows them. There's a, a story I read about, uh, uh, it says, uh, a guy says, I observed this herd instinct a few years ago in a documentary on television. It was filmed in a packing house where sheep were being slaughtered for the meat market and huddled in pens outside were hundreds of nervous animals and they seemed to sense danger in their unfamiliar surroundings and a gate was opened that led up to a ramp and through a door to the right in order to get the sheep to walk up that ramp, the handlers used what is known as a Judas goat. This is a goat that has been trained to lead the sheep into the slaughterhouse. This goat did his job very efficiently. He confidently walked to the bottom of the ramp and then looked back. Then he took a few more steps and stopped again. And the sheep looked at each other skittishly and began to move toward the ramp. And eventually they followed the confident goat to the top where he went through a little gate to the left. But they were forced to turn to the right and went to their deaths. It was a dramatic illustration of unthinking herd behavior and the deadly consequences it often brings. We live in a society where it's just like that, where people are, are latching on to all kinds of crazy beliefs and ideas, and unfortunately they're being led directly to their death without even knowing it. And the only solution, their only uh, uh, hope is Jesus Christ. And that means we have to stand up and share that with them. We have to give them an alternative to follow so they're not being led to their death. The reality is, is that people need Jesus. And they're heading straight towards the slaughterhouse. But Jesus is the answer. In Luke 4, 16 through 21, it says, And he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up, and as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up and read. And the scroll of the prophets uh, uh, was, of Isaiah was given to him, and he unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering the sight of the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim 
the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled the scroll up and gave it back to the attendant, and he sat down. And the eyes of all the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. This was actually a pretty big shock to them because the Jewish rabbis already attributed this scripture to the Messiah, where he's reading in Isaiah. How shocked they must have been when Jesus said, this has been fulfilled in your hearing. And the reference here is the, the year of Jubilee, which is described in Leviticus 25, if you want to read about it. But every seventh year was a sabbatical year um, for the nation when the land was allowed to rest. There was no planting or harvesting on, on that year. But every 50th year, which is after uh, seven sabbaticals, it was set apart as the year of Jubilee. And the main purpose of this special year was really rebalancing the economic system. The slaves were set free and returned to their families. Property was, that was sold was reverted to the original owners, and all debts were canceled. And then the land lay fallow as man and beast rejoiced in the Lord. And this is what this was a picture of, this year of Jubilee. But Jesus isn't talking about... Um, He's actually referring to his ministry, but not into an economical or a political sense, but in a physical or spiritual sense. And this is the good news that he was proclaiming, that everyone got to be set free and made new, reverted back to the original position they were before Adam fell. And he's proclaiming this good news. And the, the great news for us is that we also get to proclaim this good news. And the reality is, is the gospel is supposed to be good news. It's not supposed to be fear-based. Like I said, when we share the gospel people, our job is not to point out their failures, but it's to point out Christ's success. Our job is not to condemn people or, or, or point at people where they've messed up, but instead tell them that Jesus made a way for them. That is our purpose, telling people that they could be free and forgiven not that they're condemned and going to hell. And it's not that those things aren't true. And it's not that that's not a reality. And it's not something, not, not something that we shy away from as a church. We get that those things are true. But standing at people telling them that they're all awful is not good news. We're supposed to share the good news. And that's that God loves them. And he made a way for them to be right with him. And that even though that they are condemned and that, that, that nobody measures up, God made a way that they could be right with him. And that was Jesus' purpose. Luke 19.10 says, The Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Amen. And the good news is, is that everybody has the opportunity to respond. In Romans uh, 10.11-13, it says, For the Scripture says, Everyone who believes in Him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, and for the same Lord is the Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. There is no distinction between Jews and Greeks, and it can be applied to us today. There's no distinction between rich and poor, white-collar, blue-collar, strong, weak, book-smart, street-smart, tall, short, those who grew up in the church, those who didn't. The, the reality is, is there's no distinction. He died for each and every one of us. There's not a single person out there that, that we can reject because there's not a single person that he rejected. He did it for all of them. And believing in him guarantees that they won't be disappointed. And this doesn't just mean one day in heaven, but also in this day, I think. When you put your trust in Jesus, you're not disappointed. 
Paul showed earlier that there's no distinction between Jew and Gentile when it came to sin, right? Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We've all heard that. There was no distinction, but there's just like there's no distinction that all have fallen, there's no distinction in who is, has salvation made available to them as well. And there's no concern of there not being enough, but it doesn't because it doesn't say the first for the first hundred who believe in him, they will not be put to shame. It doesn't say that 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 only the, the people that uh, are right with, try to get themselves right with God first, or those who only have so many amounts of sin, or, or those who have only done, uh, haven't done this kind of sin, it says everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. That means everybody has the opportunity to say yes. You know, one of the things when uh, I like to ask people when I talk about this stuff is I say, do you think Hitler could have been saved? And it's amazing how many people say, oh no, there's no way Hitler could have been saved. Well, I think you misunderstand the scripture. Now, I'm not saying that he, he ever did get saved, but at any moment, even up to the moment of his death, if he would have repented and asked God for forgiveness and put his trust in Jesus Christ, even after all those horrible things that he did, he would have been saved. I know this is true because uh, Paul looked a little bit like Hitler in the way he treated Christians before he got saved. He was just going into people's homes, dragging them out, killing them. I mean, even before it all started, he approved of them getting stoned. But he, he, was, he was terrible to Christians. Yet God still redeemed him. God still made an impact in his life. The truth is, is that it's for everybody. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. But then we run into a problem as Paul continues in verse 14. How then will they call on them whom they have not believed? How are they to believe in whom they've never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? This is our responsibility. It's a good question. How are they to believe? Or how are they to hear without someone preaching? And it's logical and it makes sense. So the question is, why doesn't it spur us to be preaching? You know, in the, in the church today, everyone has this idea that only the pastor preaches. And the truth is, is that we're all called to preach. You need to preach to others, and you need to preach to yourself, too. <laughs> but the reality is, is that, that there are people that need to hear, and it's our responsibility to minister to them, not just mine, not just Pastor Joseph's, not just, you know, evangelists, but every single one of us has the responsibility And the question is, is that are we going to take up the mantle of that responsibility? Like I said, it's, it's going to have to change. One of the things we've seen in this church since COVID is, is our numbers have been dwindling. We got hit really hard with COVID, and it uh, looks like things were going okay for a while, but then you know our, 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 our attendance has been going down. And that's okay in one sense because my responsibility is to minister to you guys to make sure that you're taken care of and I'll, I'll continue to do that and even if there was only one person sitting in this church but on the other hand we're not called to just come in and be ministered to each and every one of us is called to minister to others to share with others and if we want to see this church grow and it's not so that it can stroke our eagles. It's not so that we can feel better about having more people in the church. But what it does is it creates opportunities to increase our sphere of influence so that we can reach even more people for Christ. Because guess what happens if each and every one of you guys invite someone to church and they get saved? The church doubles, right? 
What happens if that happens again? It doubles again. But the thing is, that's exponential growth. The, the, the purpose of having more people in the church is so that we have a greater sphere of influence and we can reach more and more people because that is our responsibility is to reach people for the lost. But how are they going to hear without someone preaching? And that's what comes down to you and I. But not just I, you too. And here's the thing. There is power in the message that we have to share. 1 Corinthians 1.18 says, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved it is the power of God. The reality is, is there may be opposition to what we are trying to share. You might come into pushback. You might come into to people arguing with you. Um, and we need to be prepared for that. The truth is, is that until they start believing, the, the, the cross, the word of the cross is folly to them, and they're going to fight back. And we see that all the time. Actually, young kids are being destroyed right now because we're not doing a great job of teaching kids not only a foundation in the world, but the, a foundation of how to respond to people that are going to be um, uh, in opposition to them, people that are going to criticize their beliefs. So they get to college, and they hear what seems like a, a nice argument about why what they believe is just a fairy tale, and their faith is shaken because we did a poor job teaching them. But the reality is, is that, that people are going to push back because if, they're not, if, if they don't believe, they just see the cross as folly. It's a fairy tale. It's, you know, some, some, some uh, guy in the sky with a big beard. But the truth is, is that it's, it's not our responsibility to save them. It's our responsibility to share the good news. It's our responsibility to tell them about Jesus, to give them the opportunity to respond it's the Holy Spirit's responsibility to speak to their heart and convict them so that they no longer see the cross as folly. So one of the things that should be encouraging to you, and, and Jesus actually says this, but when they're rejecting the, the, the gospel, they're not rejecting you, they're rejecting him. When they reject you, they're not even rejecting you, they're rejecting him. And we have to understand that we might face this, John 15, 18 through 19 says, The world hates you. Know that it has hated me before it hated you. And if you were of this world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Matter of fact, if you're getting some hate, it might be a sign that you're doing the right thing. And then finally, we'll end here in Romans 15, verse 20. says, And thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. Finally, when we're talking about evangelism, our goal is not to steal people from other churches. Our goal is not to, you know, play basically musical chairs with the saints. You know, our goal is to, to reach new people, unbelievers, for the gospel. When we're playing holy musical chairs, when people are just shifting from church from church, an individual church might be growing, but the church at large is not growing. The kingdom of heaven is not increasing. Our purpose is to reach people that have never known the gospel or who don't know the gospel and share it with them so that they might say yes. As a church, our goal should be to reach the unreached. 
those who have not said yes or those who have fallen away. Our goal shouldn't be to go around and, and meet new people and they go to another church and try to, to, to get them to come to ours and vice versa. And the truth is, is we fell victim to that quite often. Many people have been uh, invited from other churches and they go because uh, it, you know, it's a bigger church and they have better production and more lights and maybe smoke or something. I don't know. The fog machine draws people in. But uh, that's not what we're going to do. We want to make sure that we're reaching people that don't know Jesus. Amen. We want to introduce people to Jesus. And we want to see God's kingdom grow. Amen.